by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Live from the KATH 910 AM studios in Las Colinas and broadcasting across North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is the Good News Show. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Good News Show here on KTH 910 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. Glad you're with us. Uh, one hour we have every week to go live and talk about the good stuff happening uh, here in the Dallas and Fort Worth Diocese. And, of course, we got some extremely good news last Friday morning. Uh, happened, you know that, 910 AM is when it broke, okay? Is that a coincidence or what? 9, 10 a.m., our frequency? Is that, uh, did they plan that? Was God up to that or not? But, uh, uh, yeah, praise God. And uh, we had Gerilyn Kaminsky and Susan Platt on with us, 10 o'clock. And so uh, we're going to talk about that now that we've had a few days to digest it and really, really delighted with uh, who is in studio with me. And uh, it just kind of worked out perfectly. We have uh, Frank Valenzuela, who is a local attorney who specializes in constitutional Constitutional law, and uh, he joins me in studio, and uh, he is with the law firm of Fanning, Harper, Martinson, Brandt, and Kuchin. And uh, also, we have uh, Aaron Fowler, Executive Director of Birth Choice of Dallas, along with his board chair, Rhonda K. Moreland, who also produces the Mark Davis Show. And so we've got law, we've got, you know, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Birth Choice, we've got politics, we got, we got what, a, what a great panel here. And I want to thank also William Kirkendall, who's our wonderful uh, in, summer intern, uh, high school, uh, homeschool guy who uh, comes in twice a week and helps us with these shows. Of course, Diane Xavier and the returning... Thistle Anderson, who has been in Scandinavia the last uh, 10 days or so. How you doing, Thistle? Welcome um, back. Thank you. I'm doing well. <laughs> Didn't get any accent. You still sound very American. <laughs> Amazingly, yes. And I, and I barely <laughs> was able to speak any of the languages there. Thankfully, they speak a lot of English. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, summarize. you got 45 seconds uh, since we've got such a busy show. By the way, second half of the show... Uh, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, the regular UD segment, which we always do on the fourth Monday. And I didn't get a chance to, to pre-watch this, uh, but, uh, they, they sent it over. They, they actually recorded it over on campus. Uh, Dr. Sanford is interviewing Tim Shaw, associate director of the Religious Freedom Project at the Berkeley Center for Religion, Peace, and World Affairs. Also visiting assistant professor at the Department of Government at Georgetown University. So I have no idea what they're going to talk about, but we'll all find out at the same time. So anyways, uh, any takeaways from your trip you want to share with us? Uh, Scandinavia is a very beautiful, very beautiful country. Uh, so we got to appreciate a lot. We drove through Norway and got to appreciate a lot of the natural beauty that God has gifted us with. And I also got to meet my namesake, Sissel, the yeah. Norwegian singer I was named after. So that was pretty cool. So yeah. a picture of Sissel and Sissel. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. So, so thanks so much. Also, also, a quick reminder that uh, we are now about three and a half weeks away from our Summer Speaker Series event. If you haven't gotten your tickets, please, please make plans to come. It's going to be July 21st, Thursday evening. We're going back to the Frontiers of Flight Museum, where we've been 12 times. We've done this. We've done 13 of these 
Uh, one was live, I mean, like virtual because of COVID and all that, but uh, one was at the Irving Convention Center last year, but uh, we've been there a lot. So back to the the uh, Frontiers of Fight Museum. Bishop Joseph Strickland is going to be our speaker. His uh, talk uh, got a little controversial. Some people don't like the, this title, but Engaging in Battle, okay, uh, Empowering the Lady in 2022. But of course, this is spiritual battle. We're not talking about going around and fighting people. Uh, but yeah, spiritual battle that we're facing right now in the country and uh, in here, you know, locally as well. All right, so get your tickets. Go to summerspeakerseries.com, summerspeakerseries.com. And uh, th- that's the show for today. So thanks for joining us. And let me bring in our wonderful panel of guests uh, as well as I just introduced. Uh, thanks to each of you for coming in. Really have, delighted that uh, you know, a few days after Roe v. Wade, you guys are right here in studio with us. So thank you. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, make sure you get real close to that microphone. You might want to bring right. it up a little bit closer, Frank. Let me, Frank, uh, and, and again, like I said, Aaron Fowler and Rhonda K. Moreland from Birth Choice of Dallas, and also Frank Valenzuela, local attorney. Let me let me start with you because I, I think, uh, Frank, a lot of people are confused. There's a lot of people saying abortion is now illegal in America. And uh, well, what exactly happened on Friday morning? How would you describe what this case did and did not do? Sure. Well, what the Dobbs case did, what the, what the court did in Dobbs, I guess it's better to say, is that it overruled Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And it held that there's no federal constitutional right to an abortion. In other words, you can't look to the U.S. Constitution to find a right to abortion. Well, practically speaking, what that means is that the regulation of abortions returns to the states the way that it, it, it was before, before Roe, before 1973. And I'm guessing Supreme Court hates to do this to themselves, uh, you know, because you're admitting you're 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 wrong 49 years ago, right? And doesn't that kind of compromise the legitimacy of other cases? Uh, and even these Supreme Court justices like Kavanaugh and uh, Amy Coney Barrett, even when they were going through their, uh, you know, uh, their hearings, said, oh, this is precedent. I think they all were, you know, said that. Sure. Uh, they don't like to overturn precedent, do they? No, no. It's In fact, they talked a lot about what's called stare decisis, which means that um, they they rely on their own precedents and going forward. And, and stare decisis, generally speaking, is a good thing. Thing because it, it provides stability in the law. In other words, just because you have different personnel does not necessarily mean you're going to end up with a different result. Um, so there's, there's a stability considerations that are very, very important. So the law isn't changing all the time. Mm-hmm. However, it's not an absolute requirement. Stare decisis has never been understood to be an absolute requirement. And some of the Supreme Court's most important decisions throughout its history have been overturning prior important precedents. So the court talked about about that issue um, in in the Dobbs decision. So it looked to Plessy versus Ferguson. That's an infamous decision from the end of the 19th century where we got the separate but equal idea. Mm-hmm. And that that separate but equal idea persisted until the 1950s when you had Brown versus Board of Education. So Brown itself was overruling precedent that had been on the books for over 50 years. It was older than Roe, um, more distance between Plessy and Brown than there is between Roe and Dobbs. Um, and, and a number of other decisions, uh, there was a Gabitis decision and the Barnett decision back in the 1940s. There was a three-year difference between those decisions. In Gabitis, it said, you can force kids to say the Pledge of Allegiance in schools. Three years later, they said, you cannot force a, a student who has religious convictions, cannot compel that student to violate their religious convictions. So do they like to overturn their own precedents? 
No, but there's plenty of um, history of them doing so when the when when the the uh, elements are met. Mm-hmm. Speaking of overturning precedents, uh, I guess in his uh, writing, Clarence Thomas kind of referred to the possibility of other overturnings like Griswold versus Connecticut and contraception. Uh, I, although I agree with him, and even with Oberfell versus Hodges, I wonder if it, how prudent it was to throw that you know match into the you know that that coal into the fire at this point. Uh, did he actually say that? And that he, he he threw that out as a possibility of other cases being overturned? Well, um, not, not exactly. So so what did the court do, and what did the court didn't do? Everybody agrees, everybody in the majority, so the five judge, justices who agreed with the reasoning of the majority opinion, including Justice Thomas, agreed that abortion is a unique issue because it deals with the destruction of, depending on which side of the, the aisle you're on, potential life or the, an unborn child. It is unique, and it is not the same rights that are at issue as in Lawrence versus Texas had to do with um, uh, uh, sexual activity or, or a burger fall with same-sex marriage. Those all those other rights that are that that they brought they drew attention to um, are different than the abortion right, and they all all the majority justices agree that it's unique. What Justice Thomas was saying is, the abortion right was found or was being defended by its its proponents under the as uh, under the Fourteenth Amendment. It's called substantive due process. All he was saying there that. There are other rights that have been recognized by the court under the Substantive Due Process Clause. And Justice Thomas said, look, I don't think just Substantive Due Process even exists. Mm-hmm. And this has been my position for decades, he said. And so we're saying in here, we're striking down abortion, and it's unique. So the striking down of abortion and Dobbs really doesn't inform any of the reasoning to re-look at, to look at those other cases again. But I really think that we should just strike down substantive due process in toto in another in another case. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Somewhat. Uh, uh, yeah, that, I appreciate the uh, the analysis very much. Could this become a ping pong match where, uh, you know, you get a majority liberal or they pack the court and all of a sudden they a new Roe v. Wade comes along 10 years from now? Uh, where, no, now it's kind of like the, uh, what is that Mexico City policy where depending on which president is in, they either, you know, instated or, uh, could, could we get into that kind of a situation with the court? Is it, could, could we, in other words, is it possible? Sure. There's nothing stopping five justices or seven justices down the road from changing, changing the decision. But the, the dissent was very intent on, on the importance of stare decisis. Well, now Dobbs is settled case law, just like Roe and Casey were settled case law. Uh, so I think that following the analysis of we shouldn't overrule our decisions unless there's a really, really good reason to, um, stare decisis should apply to Dobbs just like it applies to every other case. Mm-hmm. Now it's a matter of the states, which, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, it was the case 50 years ago. And this, I, I, I would trust as your opinion, is, is where it should be, right? Yeah, pre-Roe, it was all in the state. It's it's health and safety regulation, and health and safety regulations have traditionally been the province of the states. And at the time of Roe, it was entirely regulated by the states. Uh, Roe changed that and and turned this what was the, the it turned turned it into a federal issue overnight. But it was always a state's issue. Mm-hmm. Where were you when you found out the news Friday morning? What was going on? 
I was sitting in front of my computer monitoring the the court's decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Were you actually on the Supreme Court case, uh, like website or something? Uh, I was on a, a website called SCOTUS Blog that SCOTUS. that yeah that that yeah. live that is a, like a live blog yeah, um, okay. that that you know announces the decisions. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, and we'll come back in, in a moment. Frank Valenzuela obviously knows really what he's talking about, constitutional law, uh, local attorney here as well. All right, so let's get it from the angle of birth choice of Dallas. Aaron Fowler, Executive Director, Rhonda K. Moreland, here as well. Uh, thanks to both of you for being on. Uh, same question I just asked Frank a moment ago. How, you probably were on the air with Mark's show, weren't you, Rhonda? I was. What, what, I'm how, like how, Frank. How, I was one of those junkies that was just refreshing, refreshing. Um, you know, every every day that um, opinions were being issued were just on the seat. Um, they say uh, not, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, which is 9 o'clock Central. And so, yes, I was live during the show um, and and watching it every second. Uh, and, and it's funny because I don't know if you feel the same, Frank, but I was like, you know, I didn't know. I really didn't feel like Friday was going to be the day. Yeah. Um. I had finally kind of let my guard down. I was still refreshing. Don't get me wrong. Um. But when it happened and you saw it, yeah. I was, I was literally couldn't speak. Yeah. I, and I just was. Which is not good on radio. No. Well, yeah, well I, know, I mean, obviously, Mark Davis yeah. is the one speaking. Not Mark me, can speak. But yeah. I'm like. It's there. It's there. I'm pushing the talk back button and, you know, so, so oh, really? and I'm like, Mark, it's, it's there. And I just, I, I, I so y'all hadn't talked a, before going on the air that morning about, Hey, what if it comes that this, so this well, was a total surprise. We have been talking about it for weeks yeah, and we knew, yeah. you know, because, but I'm constantly feeding, you know, talking with him and, and, and giving him all the information. Um, uh, but it, it, it's like it wouldn't come out of my mouth. Yeah, it was just, it yeah. was almost like it was paralyzed. I mean, like you say, in radio, seconds is, is an eternity. Yeah. Um, but I got it and he started it immediately. Um, and I personally, the most unprofessional, I t- told Aaron, I, I just, I, I wept. I wept like I had not wept. And, and when my, you know, 22 year old daughter was born, I, it was just an overwhelming, um, sense of just, Tears of joy mm-hmm. and in a an emotion that I could have never prepared for. Yeah, I, I just um, I I called Aaron. You know, as soon as I got Mark squared away, I called Aaron because we you know wanted to communicate to our supporters over at Birth Choice immediately, and so we we'd been working on something for weeks that we had um, crafted to put together. And I just I think all I said was send yeah. it. Yeah, and he said, but and I go. Send that email. Send that, it. Yeah, it was yeah. just the most beautiful yeah. call I've I've ever had the opportunity to make. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Aaron, you're you're working at you know on, on ground zero with the, the 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 women who are pregnant. Well, you both are, but you know you a day to day basis right there. Uh, tell us your perspective. I mean, what what kind of a day was what was Friday morning meant to you? Um, Friday morning was fantastic. I was just doing my ordinary thing. Uh, the team was seeing clients and. Uh, there was a small break after I talked to Rhonda, and then I called uh, the other team members to send out this message uh, to the community uh, that subscribes to the birth choice mailer over the email. And I brought them all in the chapel and just said, hey, we're going to... Uh, so we have a little bell uh, there in the chapel. And so I rang that bell. Everybody came through that wasn't with a client at the moment. And they all came and kneeled down, and they're kind of like looking at me because it's an, an ordinary time to do that. 
And I said, we're going to say three Hail Marys and Thanksgiving for Roe being overturned. And several staff members immediately were just shocked and oh. just <laughs> pleased. And, and then they collected themselves and we, we prayed in Thanksgiving and went about the day. We had uh, more walk-ins on Friday last week than we've had in probably two months. Oh, is that right? Yeah, we had like five walk-ins uh, and then all of the other scheduled clients that we had already booked yeah one of my uh, media thoughts when i got the news uh, reg platt from the cplc was one that texted me and i was just about to start a recorded interview that i i, I had a 25 record minute recorded interview which i paid very little attention to because i was so distracted <laughs> and texting people and all that uh the lady was on the phone so she didn't see me be distracted but uh i thought about birth choice and cplc and you know white rose and these these like the one in buffalo that was attacked and so how are you all doing from a safety standpoint and ensuring that you know nothing crazy happens over there i'm sure you're taking a lot of precautions huh absolutely uh, the ordinary precautions that you consider in that situation uh, national organizations threatening to do violence um me and ron have worked very closely together uh to create a quite appropriate but not exaggerated um, safety plan for the team and the board. Uh, we've added little bits of security here and there. We've communicated with the Dallas Police Department. Um, nothing uh, over the top, but just right. We've had no threats, no concerns. Um, yeah, well, we are about as safe as we can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and does this mean that... Because I know right across the street there's uh, an uh, abortion clinic on that same corner. Mm -hmm. Are are they they shut down? I mean, did this happen immediately? I don't know if this is a legal question or uh, or you, anybody can jump in. Uh, are are the abortion centers done? I mean, now it or what, what, what? What's the immediate impact? It was interesting to me, and and um, we'll lean on Aaron for this because he's you know he's there on the ground daily, um, but. I felt like, because as soon as the show was over, I rushed over there. That was the first place. I didn't know who I wanted to get to. The the ladies, um, the frontline workers that are, you know, doing God's work, they're in, in the center. Um, or if I wanted to see my kids and hug them and hold them. And uh, so I FaceTimed them. And they're, they're closer east. Uh, so I stopped immediately. And I just rushed into their arms because I just wanted to hug and rejoice um, mm -hmm. with all of them. But to your point is I was I did notice it seemed like it was just so desolate over there Friday. And, you know, in the meantime, we were getting so many uh, more, you know, we got a huge amount of clients come in on Friday and more than normal, I think. And it was really it was really neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why? Why? Why was that? You, was that just a um, coincidence? Uh, the, the, the coincidence can be used. Uh, only loosely in, in so many different circumstances once we know a bigger picture, of course. But, we call uh, them god Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the great um, opportunity that was taken releasing that on Friday, uh, providentially, whether it was intended or not, was phenomenal. So the Sacred Heart of Jesus yeah. as a um, fixed solemnity was last Friday. That's a really, really big deal. But interestingly enough, it falls on the 24th, which is rarely, rarely moved where you have a class one solemnity, which was John the Baptist, yeah, the first one yeah. to be redeemed in the womb by Leaked Christ. Leaked in the wound, yeah. Big, yeah, big womb, deal. Yeah. How can we say that is just mere coincidence? We can't. So whether it's God's grace encouraging and providing these women opportunity to stay focused and look for help instead of looking first for an abortion, uh, we couldn't know. But they were very, very slow 
uh, on Friday, and we were slammed. Also, the birthday of uh, Nellie Gray. Uh, did you hear about that one? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the founder of the March for Life. Oh, oh that's wow. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, she's passed on, mm-hmm. but uh, it was, it's her, her birthday. And mm-hmm. so there, there was a lot, of, a lot of things. And there was something like this, the, 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 every 20, 30 years, the star, the, the, the planets align or something. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> Let me ask a couple of questions to kind of touch on politics. Uh, first of all, the whole idea of packing the court. There was uh, talk of this in the election cycle, or, or you know, as as the, the especially when the leak came out, and it's been talked about for a while now. Is that something that we it, it, you think may happen, Frank? Uh, the, the Democrats may say, "Well, let's just add a few more Supreme Court justices." And can they do that? Uh, can they do that? Yes. It's a, there's no magic number. Nine is not a magic number, and it's not in the Constitution. They could have. It's had a different number of justices before. Uh, it's been nine for a long time. Seems to be a good number, uh, generally speaking. So is it possible? Yes, but it would, Congress would have to pass it and signed by the president, just like any other law. Mm-hmm. Um, will it happen? I don't know. It seems like I heard that the president uh, over the weekend indicated that he was still not for it. So if he's not for it, um, I don't know. I mean, it, he wouldn't sign it, pres- presumably. And I'm not sure there's enough support in the Senate, and certainly not a filibuster-proof majority. Yeah. And uh, Rhonda, I wanted to ask you a, a politics question, since this is a, kind of one of your areas. Uh, I saw the, the the most, what I thought, ridiculous uh, t- tweet on Twitter where somebody basically said, well, way to go, Republicans. Now you're not going to win the midterm elections because you've given the, the, the Democrats this, you know, this, the, the, as if that's what we need to worry about is winning elections. I mean, that, like, you got to time this out. Uh, is that, I, I guess, having said that, is that a concern? It seemed like all the politics was going kind of in the pro-life, you know, uh, not, not, I don't know. Is this well, going to have a big, big uh, uh, impact on politics? You think? I think the short answer is, uh, Elections have consequences. And what we saw is that, you know, every vote counts. And and because of the election of 2016, we had in place a president who was the most effective pro-life president that we've seen. And we got these um, uh, appointees and look at the outcome. And that's what we experienced on Friday. And so, you know, what is the impact of elections and, and, and decisions like this on politics I think it will only f- um, for those of us. There's two different things going on. We got to compartmentalize them. So, as a pro-life advocate, you know, Friday was unbelievable. Um, but as a you know, from a political perspective, um, do people are people more concerned about the pro-life issue, or are they more concerned about the gun issue, or are they more concerned when they go to the gas tank? And they put the gas in or when they're going to the grocery store, what is going to affect them mm-hmm. most personally? We're all here devoutly pro-life. That's what we do. And that's what we stand for. And so that's what affects me. At the That's what I'm looking at in November and when I'm choosing an elected official um, or a politician to vote for. Um, but, you know, I feel like the majority of voters are going to be more effective by what this gas situation is doing and what their grocery bills and the fact that they can't go out to dinner anymore as a family because they quite frankly can't afford to live with the vote that they cast um, for the present current president mm-hmm. that we have. Yeah. Let's, well, uh, and, and Dave, and Dave, I just want to jump in there for a moment. What Dobbs does is that it makes politics precisely the issue is that before, before when, when Roe and Casey were in place, 
politics could only tangentially or indirectly affect it, for example, with a president nominating Supreme Court justices and judges to the other federal courts. But Roe and Casey took up so much of the ground that there was fairly small area left for politics. Mm-hmm. What Dobbs does is precisely say that it is all political. It's just political at the state level. So it's political in Austin and in Tallahassee and in, you know, all the other state capitals. And that's where it's going to be. The issues are going to be decided now. It's not going to be decided in at the Supreme Court. It's going to be decided in the state capitals. And uh, but so, yeah, I mean, politics is precisely the issue. now. Mm-hmm. And I think pr- Frank is completely on point because, you know, for, for me, this is how I got involved in state politics is my passion for the pro-life movement. And in 2008, we saw how that went, um, you know, on the national level and electing the most pro-abortion president that we had ever had in our time. And that was how I was able to direct, because I woke up a few days of feeling sorry for myself and gloom and doom. And then I said, you know what? Wait a minute. This is an opportunity. I live in the state of Texas. I'm too, well, at the time it was two and a half hours. Now I think it's three and a half hours to drive down to Austin. (laughs) I was like, I can drive down to Austin. I can meet 181 elected officials. I can make sure that Texas is a pro-life state, mm-hmm. which we were at the day, and we still are, and it's a strengthened. And and so that's why when the rest of the country is literally rioting in the streets, we're protected here in Texas. You know, abortion is only anywhere from 30 to 60 days away from just not being concerned. So how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. How do you put a true end to abortion, which we're all bringing, you know, what's brought us all here together to talk to, to the today? We, we focus on each state, and so each individual group of activists can go and focus on a particular state, and then eventually abortion will hopefully become no longer in the United States. Yeah, and I, I think this uh, last 49 years has just been a great lesson in perseverance. I mean, if you look at the, the network, I mean, Birth Choice uh, it is a wonderful organization, and there are these kind of uh, uh, centers all over the country now. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of them are there. Uh, groups like the CPLC, groups like Heroic Media, all these groups, you know, Catholic Radio, you know, day after day after day, announcing and, and, and other good radio shows as well, being pro-life. I mean, you know, we never gave up. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think if you go back to 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed, I think I think the other side thought, well, that th- this is just going to silence them, and they're going to. And I, th- I think it actually it continued to grow and grow and grow. And look at the March for Life. I bet you the March for Life in 75 or 76 was considerably smaller than it was in you know 2019 or something like that. So, Aaron, do you want to uh, uh, kind of speak on that? It's just the I think it's a big add a boy, add a girl. For the pro-life movement that we stuck in there and fought this for so many years, and uh, it, it was perseverance, wasn't it? Absolutely, and that was some of the first texts after I took care of everything business-wise at Birth Choice, getting everybody set up um, to be aware what happened. Uh, I messaged uh, several individuals um, that have been working this for a long time. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that is the victory that they have been waiting so hard 20, 30 years that they would never expect, hey, I'll, I'll actually see that day. They work towards it because it's worth working towards, not because they know that they'll see the outcome. Yeah. Um, and so partnerships like the CPLC and uh, Walking with, with Moms in Need, that's a national program. These are fantastic collaborative efforts that Birth Choice 
uh, desperately needs. Mm-hmm. And it, it, in the end, this is about saving lives. Did you all see that picture of the lady, the very, very pregnant lady at a pro-abortion rally that had written, I don't know if you saw this, Frank, you know what I'm talking not about. Not yet a human. It says, mm-hmm. not yet a human. And she mm-hmm. had another child uh, next to her, but clearly, clearly, probably nine months pregnant, and she had written on there, not yet human. But you know, that kind of stuff, I think, only helps our cause because people look at that, even if they agree with her, they say, no, that's that's not a good look. You know, that that doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, we I, just have a, a few minutes. Really. Yeah, well, ahead, I, just, I think it's interesting. You use the word perseverance, and that's absolutely, um, I think, just a perfect way um, to describe what my pro-life acti- activism has been. Um, but to put it kind of in in. Uh, Today's younger people terms, hashtag never quit. Mm-hmm. I literally, like I said, I was not able to oh, really communicate um, clearly because I was so um, overcome with emotion and all I could tweet was hashtag never quit. Yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, William, who's in here, I asked him that on Friday. We were on a show. I said, you know, he's 17 years old. I said, what does this mean to you? Because, I mean, I was six years old when Roe v. Wade came up, came along. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty much been my whole life. I mean, this thing has been around the, the entire life. But the young people, I think, uh, you know, proof of the March for Life, you see a lot of young people. And, they, and they're, they're engaged and they're excited about this. Uh, we just have a, a few minutes remaining. This has been such a, a great segment just reminding everybody we're celebrating uh, the end of Roe v. Wade the end of uh, Casey was the other case right and uh, and uh, now we've got um, you know no longer Roe v. Wade in this country my guests uh, Frank Valenzuela who is an attorney local attorney specializing in constitutional law along with uh, birth choice of Dallas Aaron Fowler executive director and Rhonda K. Moreland the board chair and uh, just want to let y'all maybe give a, a final Whatever. I mean, where do we go from here? What, what, what are the needs of birth choice in this new, you know, dynamic, this new framework? Uh, you know, do you want to go first, Aaron? And sure. Just say, what would you um, like to say to our listeners and how can they help you? Please, uh, first and foremost, pray and be awesome. Go out there and promote the culture of life in the most Christian, charitable, and proactive way that you can on an individual, personal level. Secondly, uh, if you're a nurse and you want to be involved and uh, or you're highly motivated, I do have a nurse manager position open right now at Birth Choice uh, that I'm taking applicants for. Um, and lastly, you know, consider and pray, you know, with great fervor, what does it mean to you to invest in the legacy of the future of this country? Birth Choice is a fantastic organization. Please come by, take a tour. If you want to volunteer, you want to donate, you want to just be involved in whatever capacity you have, let's talk about it. Because this is the uh, eating an elephant one mm-hmm. bite at a time. Um, that's the process. Take it personally and keep moving forward. Is sidewalk counseling done? Uh, <laughs> is praying outside of abortion clinics? Is that? I'm uh, sure uh, Joanne would probably uh, come in and have a whole segment on that. It'll be interesting. I yeah, haven't got to reach out to yeah. her, Joanne Underwood, over at CPLC. I'm sure that they have, like us, been looking down the road to see what. Uh, there's going to be plenty of need for a firecracker yeah. like that. They get so much done. Right, right. And uh, all right, Rhonda uh, K. Moreland. Uh, what, what What are your thoughts? So, what, what would you like to? I think final thoughts that I would encourage anybody is to um, just proceed in the coming days with love and grace and non-judgment. 
Um, we all know somebody who's had an abortion. We all love somebody who's had an abortion. We've all been affected by abortion. And understand that, that this time that people are taking this really personal, um, that this, um, this victory for the pro-life Rhonda or the pro-life person that, or the pro-life heart that you might carry, um, some, somebody that you love is going to take that personal. But if you show them that you care about empowering women and you fight for women just as much as you do the babies, um, that I think that they'll be able to really have a more open conversation with you and, um, and stay off social media. It's toxic, mm-hmm. um, that we have to cover it and we have to see it. Unless you're watching this on Facebook. Right. right now, except right? for that. <laughs> except for that. Except for that. Share, share this on we, your Facebook page. I know. I mean, there's just so many productive things like yeah. coming to take a tour at Birth Choice yeah. or taking yeah. a look at the actual law and, and, and the opinion that was released using your time more constructively instead of Entering in that really toxic, um, uh, it, it's not going to be a fruitful conversation. And yeah. obviously, I'll leave you with, like I said, hashtag never quit. Yeah. And, and you know, I know all of us would agree prayer is so important. Uh, you know, I actually have a, a niece, uh, Dory Beth, my sister's daughter, uh, whose birth mother, and I and I, I talked to her birth mother, uh, Marcella, even recently at a, at a little crawfish boil, and I, I got this story again. Her birth, her birth mother was in an abortion clinic, lying on the table to have an abortion, and changed her mind because she saw people praying outside that abortion clinic. And yeah, 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 we think in the abstract, but I, and I now have you know a, a 13-year-old uh, niece, Dory Beth, who is alive because people were praying outside of an abortion clinic. I mean, so the prayer is so important, and I know that's such so fundamental in all of our work, whether it be law or politics or birth choice or, you know, whatever we do. So, anyways, very, very important. Th- thanks so much for being here. I appreciate y'all's input very much and for taking the time to be here uh, just a couple of days after this broke. Uh, Frank, last word uh, from a legal standpoint. What should we be keeping our eye on and what should we be doing? Um, keeping an eye on, you know, uh, Dobbs closed one chapter and now a new legal chapter begins and it's going to not be located in one place. It's going to be located in 50 places. Mm-hmm. And so for the folks who are interested and motivated in, 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 in making sure we have good laws, um, stay active, read, read the laws, read the decisions and, um, stay informed because this, this is not the end of the story. From a legal perspective, this is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new one. Yeah. And so we'll see how it plays yeah. out. And isn't about half of the states now put in trigger laws? Isn't it about 24, 25 of them? Ooh, definitely that- 24, but I think a couple actually went in um, on Friday. So Oh, they did? Okay. I think we're up to yes, 27. Okay. There, were, there, were, there were a number of them, and I think there are more that are coming. Like in Texas, there's the question of the 30 days after the Supreme Court judgment and, mm-hmm. and what, you know. How, how that works. But yeah, it's going to be in total, probably about 30 states are going to either ban or, or um, severely, severely restrict mm-hmm. access to abortion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reaction, praise to be to God, was not as intense as people thought it was going to be. I remember being at church uh, yesterday and thinking, you know what, I, I'm not even thinking about violence. I and, and it was packed and everybody came and I don't think anybody was intimidated by the uh, the threats and what you guys are doing. And like you said, I think you handled it in a very measured way, Aaron, and just said, hey, you know, and you guys called the police and everything's good. So we pray for your continued safety and uh, thanks for what you're doing be out there on the front lines thank you dave 
And uh, all right, well, that was a great conversation. Appreciate it very much. And uh, birthchoicedallas.org, right? Birth, uh, Support.birthchoicedallas.org is for the supporters page. Okay, mm-hmm. support.birthchoicedallas.org. Okay, and uh, I don't know if you have any websites. <laughs> Anybody needs an attorney? <laughs> I hope it isn't the name of that firm.com because that no, would be confusing. Thank God, no. It's, it's fhmbk.com. <laughs> okay, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, your insights, Frank, and, you. Uh, and you guys as well, uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron and Rhonda Kay. And if, if anybody was looking to support the center and wasn't able to grab that um, website, I would encourage you to do the same. Um, let's, I'll, I'll go and put it in the comments, so if anybody who's following you, uh, this uh, feed on Facebook can go in and okay. see that. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah support uh, all these different groups, including uh, birthchoicedallas.org, support.birthchoicedallas.org, right? Did I get that right? That's it. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, we're running a little bit uh, over time, but uh, uh, that's okay. It's an important conversation. What we're going to do is take a one-minute break right now, and we're going to come back and play the University of Dallas segment that we always do on the fourth Monday of the month. And this is where the president of the University of Dallas, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, uh, interviews somebody of uh, somehow related to the university. And so we appreciate him doing that very much. His guest uh, that you'll hear from in one minute is Timothy Samuel Shaw, Assistant Director of the Religious Freedom Project at the Berkeley Center for Religion, Peace, and World Affairs. So quick break, and we'll be back with that segment right after this. Hi, this is Dave Palmer. I hope your summer is going well and you're finding some time to relax. And I hope you are planning to join us for this year's Summer Speaker Series event on Thursday evening, July 21st at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. Bishop Joseph Strickland will be our speaker with a talk called Engaging in Battle, Empowering the Laity in 2022. Plus, we'll have delicious catered food and an open wine bar. Tickets are $75. Visit Summer Speaker Series to get your tickets today. Are you looking for a tax preparer this year to help you with your personal or business tax filing or management? At Balance Book LLC, they can assist with business and personal tax returns, accounting services, sales tax, payroll, business formations, and more. They can be reached by calling 972-805-5095, or you can visit them at 4425 West Airport Freeway, Suite 122, Irving, Texas, 75062. Balance Book LLC, a new sponsor of the GRN and members of Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Duncanville. Well, thank you, Dave. It's such a pleasure to join you again on the Good News Show at the University of Dallas. It is always great to be part of Guadalupe Radio Network. I am so excited today to be in conversation with Dr. Timothy Shaw. He is a distinguished research scholar of the University of Dallas. He is positioned or stationed, I should say, in India at the moment, and we're working on ways to build up collaborations between the work that he and his wife Rebecca are doing in India and the University of Dallas. He is an international expert in religious liberty and so today we're going to spend some time exploring what religious liberty is and why it is so vitally important. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Shaw. Thank you. I couldn't be happier to be here, JJ. So Let's start with a, a simple question. Maybe it's not as simple as it sounds, but what what is religious freedom? Well, we're fortunate that our church, uh, our Catholic church, has a beautiful document on religious freedom called uh, Dignitatis Humanae, uh, on the dignity of the human person. Uh, and Dignitas, Dignitas Humanae defines religious freedom, you know, a, a, as well as, as anyone's defined it, uh, as 
uh, an immunity from coercion in religious matters that all people, all human persons enjoy uh, as a matter of uh, divinely revealed truth and as a matter of natural law so that they may pursue and find the truth mm -hmm. uh, about God and about uh, uh, religious matters. So there are two really key uh, elements of that definition. One is uh, an immunity from coercion, freedom, and the other is truth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it's freedom for the truth mm -hmm. about God and the transcendent. Mm -hmm. So when we think about religious freedom in the American context, mm -hmm. we, we often think in political terms. Mm -hmm. um, do you see this as principally a, a matter, matter of political order, or is that a limited way of, of reflecting on religious liberty? Yes, I think it is a limited way to, uh, to, to, to understand it. Um, uh, freedom uh, for the truth, freedom for religious truth, is ultimately a spiritual uh, and metaphysical uh, uh, reality. Uh, God uh, endowed human persons with uh, freedom, uh, freedom of the will and reasons so that uh, they might know God. Mm -hmm. uh, so the freedom of religion really is ultimately a metaphysical, spiritual, uh, and religious uh, uh, phenomenon. You could say it's a pre-political mm -hmm. uh, right. Of course, once respected and recognized, it has enormous ramifications and impl implications for the political order, mm -hmm. uh, but it is first and foremost a, a pre-political, mm -hmm. uh, and I think one would say, one could say natural mm -hmm. uh, right. So uh, I, I want to explore a little bit your understanding of the philosophical underpinnings mm -hmm. a little bit more, and you mm -hmm. just opened the door for that with, with that claim that religious liberty is it's grounded by the natural law as a right. Um, I want to understand better what mm -hmm. that means, mm -hmm. but um, before we turn to that, what, what if you're listening to this conversation and you don't consider yourself religious? Mm -hmm. um, why, why should people who are not um, religious regard religious liberty as not just a right, but I think you would argue a fundamental mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question, and I think we too often fail to make a case for uh, religious liberty and its importance that really uh, appeals to and resonates with people who may not be conventionally religious. Um, the f freedom of religion, freedom of religion, religious freedom is a freedom that every person uh, enjoys um, you know, a as a matter of, of natural law and natural right, regardless of what their opinions about religion happen to be. Mm -hmm. So it's the freedom for uh, the agnostic uh, to inquire and reflect about the uh, ultimate meaning and, and nature of the of the universe, the freedom to pursue uh, inquiry and investigation um, uh, into the uh, highest uh, causes, the deepest sources of of being of uh, of reality, uh, and once one has apprehended what one believes to be the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, about these matters, 
uh, even if uh, what one believes to be the truth is not in accord with what we know to be true uh, concerning uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, the church that he established. Uh, what people in conscience take to be the truth um, is uh, something that they have a right and a duty uh, mm-hmm. to uh, adhere to, uh, to profess, uh, because as uh, our great teacher uh, and um, revered saint, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, teaches uh, very clearly, uh, even uh, when we are in error um, uh, concerning matters of conscience, we still have a duty to follow our conscience mm-hmm. um, and an and indefeasible, absolute uh, duty. Uh, so the atheist absolutely has as much of a right to religious freedom as um, a, a believer, a traditional believer of, of any sort. Uh, so uh, religious freedom is, is, the, is really the condition, the precondition for anyone uh, to uh, arrive at the truth and hold the truth and profess the truth in, in, a, in a truly authentic manner as, mm-hmm. as, as was intended uh, for uh, human persons. We're not robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to uh, come to the truth by our own lights and, uh, and then we've got to be free to uh, profess and practice it in, in accordance with uh, the dictates of conscience. You know, it's, um, what you just said reminded me of um, a passage. Uh, I, I, was, I was reading through the, the great Thomist scholars' um, translation of questions 18 through 20 mm-hmm. of the Prima Secundae, mm-hmm. where Aquinas takes up the, the structure of the moral act mm. and reflects upon the, uh, um, the, the nature of the moral act. And, and there in, in question 18, I think it is, um, he, he poses that what sounds a little shocking claim mm. that uh, we have a duty to follow our conscience. Mm-hmm. So the, the way that he phrases the question is that there's a... Um, um, we're, 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 we're not um, we're, we're morally culpable um, when mm-hmm. we don't follow our conscience are yeah. we morally culpable when we follow our conscience but our conscience errs and the answer to that question is yes, yes, yes. right and, yes. and, and McInerney just commented on how chilling that, yes. that claim yeah. is right? Yes. and, and uh, St. Thomas uses a, a striking example um, which is uh, if you profess belief in Christ when your your conscience tells you that you ought not, yes. um, you you are still in duty bound to follow what your conscience says, and so it's actually wrong for you to profess belief in Christ when you don't have um, your conscience backing yes. it up. Yes, but you're, you're, it's still a um, uh, a deeply problematical, sinful right. expression. But uh, so you're, you're damned if you don't. You're damned yes, if you yes, do yes, is, is, yes, yes, is, yes. Is, is what he remarked upon there. But that really is, it seems to me, at the, at the, the root of what we're talking about when we're talking about religious liberty. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And this is something that, as you said, St. Thomas articulates with dramatic clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also something, a principle that was articulated with remarkable clarity by the earliest of the church fathers. Um, as early as the second century, uh, 
the church father Tertullian mm-hmm. uh, articulated a right to religious freedom um, as an individual natural right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made that very clear. He also was the first person in the history of the human race to use the phrase religious liberty, mm-hmm. uh, libertas religionis, in mm. his um, great work, The Apology. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this truth uh, that people could not be uh, forced into religion, even when it's the true religion, yeah. was something that was grasped with great clarity uh, from the very origins of, of our faith. Right. Some people... Uh, wrongly, and this is actually a kind of a hot uh, topic in contemporary discussion among Catholics, um, is when did religious liberty originate? Right. Wasn't it a sort of modern idea, maybe a Lockean idea, maybe a Rousseauian idea, or maybe associated with uh, the Protestant reformers in some sense? And that's actually completely false. Mm-hmm. The, the, this was not an idea alien to our Catholic faith that was somehow uh, imposed on our Catholic faith or brought into our faith in a way that corrupted our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, religious liberty was taught with great clarity right. uh, by Tertullian and then Lactantius and other early church fathers. Lactantius, by the way, also taught uh, very, very clearly that every person um, must be free to pursue uh, the truth about religion because he put it with remarkable uh, drama. Uh, there is nothing that is so much a matter of free will as religion. Yeah. Uh, in Dignitatis Humanae, when it looks for patristic sources mm-hmm. for the idea of religious freedom, explicitly cites Lactantius. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, the uh, so-called integralists uh, who want to say that actually the most authentic, earliest expressions of Catholic teaching on religious freedom. They want to say that these teachings really never really accepted yeah. uh, this idea are really quite clearly false. Yeah. Uh, that uh, when uh, the um, earliest authorities of the church first began to reflect mm-hmm. about this question, should people be free or not mm-hmm. uh, to pursue the truth about religious matters, it, it was clear where they came down. Yeah, and, and it seems to me that... Um, Oh. No, not at all. Thank you. Yes, you're yeah, sure. you're doing the job that our wives would normally do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's totally> <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I would say that those who who make that claim, as you just have, have strong support in um, the epistles of Saint Paul. Yes. And, and um, uh, in, in the very words of our of our Lord as well. But you know, it's it's um, uh, conviction, uh, profession. Yeah, you, you, the, the way you articulate um, your profession of faith. But but the conviction needs to be rooted in the very heart of man in order for that profession to be an accurate portrayal of of one's heart. And and that is not the whole of St. Paul, of course, but, but that seems to me to be um, at, at, at the root of what it is that he, he conveys to us as, as the great um, um, evangelizer of the Gentiles. Absolutely. You know. uh, St. Paul, in, in, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Romans chapter 14, 
um, he is describing situations where believers have different views mm-hmm. uh, about uh, um, um, feast days and um, holy days and um, and he concludes this discussion by saying um, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind yeah. uh, that everyone has to come to their own conclusion this is not religious indifferentism he was talking about matters which were not central matters of orthodoxy but he, he makes the, the point you made with crystal uh, clarity mm-hmm. uh, that um, people have to form their own consciences on mm-hmm. certain questions and once they've done that they have an obligation then to follow their conscience yeah. um, uh, according to their, their judgments of conscience so you could say I guess we might, we might like to say uh, there's a kind of a there's a, there's a radical personalism really embedded already right. you know, in, in the earliest documents of the faith and in, in, the, uh, in the epistles and in the gospel uh, and then the the patristic writers uh, really expand and mm-hmm. develop this personalism. Right. Uh, again, this is way before the advent of modernity. This has nothing That's to right. do with the with nominalism or right. voluntarism or individualism. That's right. These are not individualist societies, obviously. No. That the. Uh, patristic writers were, you know, operating in. Tertullian was not <laughs> living. They, in they, they were building past. the fundamental communities that yes. um, built up the the, the West, um, both on the eastern and and the western fronts. Um, so, I'm, I'm glad you 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 went to this particular controversy. Uh, we both have a great affection and devotion, not just to Saint Thomas Aquinas, but to Jacques Maritain, mm-hmm. great Catholic philosopher. Mm-hmm. And um, you know he's been deeply controversial, yes. and yes. and um, one of our great living Catholic philosophers, Alistair McIntyre, um, in fact, uh, took on um, an element of the legacy of Maritain just this yes. past yes. fall, yes. Yes. and 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 suggested that that there is something that's problematical, in particular with the, the notion of, of human dignity, but as it relates to personalism more generally and um, I, I hope I'm not causing scandal to any of our viewers here by, by revealing the fact that, that Catholic philosophers argue with each other um, in, in some ways it's, it's an expression of the vitality of the uh, Catholic philosophical tradition but you know, what, what's at stake in this debate why does it matter so much to you and I and Alistair McIntyre and everyone else who's been engaged in these conversations? I, I think uh, it, it's a source of great controversy and intense controversy because a lot is at stake. Uh, and I think what's at stake is uh, a proper account of human dignity and, mm-hmm. and, and what, what, what is it um, that makes us... Uh, creatures with uh, uh, dignity or have dignity. Uh, on Alistair McIntyre's view, what gives us dignity is our obedience to God. Is mm-hmm. is our our actual um, uh, performance of our duties to 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 God as those are revealed by uh, natural law as well as God's revealed law. If we fall short, uh, we lose our dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Whereas uh, that's really a reductionist account, I think uh, we would want to say that, yes, there's some sense in which people who uh, are radically disobedient to God do in a sense or can in a sense, in some sense, 
lose their dignity, uh, understood in a certain way. Uh, but that's much too univocal and reductionist. That mm -hmm. there is also a sense in which we have a dignity that we cannot lose. Mm -hmm. That we are made in the indelible uh, image of God. Uh, this, this is in some sense inalienable. Yeah. And by the way, if we might think that that language is modern, uh, that even inalienable you know, human dignity. In fact, uh, church fathers such as Gregory of Nyssa were very clear. Uh, that our uh, being made in God's image was something that we could not lose, yeah. uh, that even God himself yeah. could not take away. Right. So I think a, a more complete understanding of our dignity is uh, that there is an element that is absolutely irrevocable, mm -hmm. uh, that God's gifts, in fact, Gregory of Nyssa, in a famous passage, the, the very passage in, w in which he provides the first account we're aware of in human history of uh, a radical critique of the institution of slavery mm -hmm. uh, in that very passage, one of his homilies on Ecclesiastes, Gregory of Nyssa makes it absolutely clear God's gifts are, are irrevocable. Yeah. Uh, our, our being made in God's image, which in part for uh, Gregory of Nyssa meant our being free, mm -hmm. our, our having a, a, a right of self-determination. Mm -hmm. Again, we think of that as radical language, yeah. uh, but uh, um, this language of an inalienable, self-determining freedom is right there in yeah. Gregory of Nyssa and other Cappadocian fathers. So um, it's a mistake for Alistair McIntyre and others to not see that, mm. that there is uh, another aspect or respect in which we have an irrevocable, inalienable dignity. Mm -hmm. I suspect what's going on is that thinkers like McIntyre assume that these ideas must somehow be, um, they, they savor of the Enlightenment or yeah. they savor of Kant. Uh, but and he, and he makes that claim about rights in general, yeah, that, that it right. itself is is a, a kind of fiction of yeah. uh, Hobbesian and Lockean um, individualism. Which uh, we know is not the case. Uh, of course, uh, the language of natural rights was not necessarily you know, a, a central, certainly not an exclusive language uh, of uh, early Christian thinkers, but it was a language that mm -hmm. they had resort to. You can see the language of natural rights in Tertullian, in St. Ambrose, mm -hmm. in a number of uh, early Christian uh, church fathers. Um, they, they, they quite easily talk about the idea that human beings do have certain natural rights, yeah. um, and they use the Latin word use in quite clearly a subjective sense, yeah. not in a, I don't mean relativistic sense, but a, but a sense... Belonging to the subject. Exactly, belonging yeah. to the subject. And in that sense, again, you see this remarkable personalism. Yes. Where almost a kind of, and it, and it, what, we, what strikes us as a kind of modern, uh, almost, almost, almost using almost modern language. Yeah. You know, we, we, we've touched a little bit on um, um, some controversies within our own Catholic intellectual mm -hmm. tradition. Mm -hmm. People who are listening to this conversation might think, okay, so you've got, you've got this robust account of religious liberty. Um, it's grounded in the Catholic intellectual tradition. Um, okay, maybe people who are agnostic or whatever, they can find their way to respect this, but um, what, what if you're from a totally different culture, right? We're, we're both American. You live in India mm -hmm. um, as a uh, um, uh, 
research fellow of the University of Dallas. You're doing work there that's that's mm -hmm. um, built upon what we do here, and um, you have many exchanges with people, not just from a different culture, but different mm -hmm. faith traditions, mm -hmm. and and a very different framework for coming at the world. Mm -hmm. How how does this this notion that is grounded so robustly and and to my knowledge most robustly compared to other traditions mm -hmm. within the Catholic intellectual tradition mm -hmm. how 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 does this fare how can it be is it is it is it a a, a notion that other people can attach themselves mm -hmm. to can they find ways to anchor it in their own framework so that it becomes yes. really effective in in building up um, conversations with those outside of this tradition it's an, that's an excellent question um, I think we have to acknowledge in humility that the fascinating thing about the Catholic teaching on uh, individual religious freedom or the right of the human person to um, religious freedom, uh, this Catholic teaching was so radical that it didn't really even sit very comfortably within Catholic societies. Yeah. Um, the, it was almost too radical even for um, subsequent centuries of the Catholic Church to really fully uh, live out. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was sort of, uh, you know, um, limited and constrained. It was never entirely lost, mm -hmm. uh, certainly. But there is really something that human beings, I think, find very difficult, actually, mm -hmm. with this idea that on matters of ultimate importance, people should actually be free from coercive interference.